Our text today speak of God's call. Each of us, in some way, each one of us, is given work to do, personal gifts to which the world needs our help. God calls, we respond. It's the rhythm of the Christian faith. First, God's call, our response. It's one of the reasons why we have added those little moments of call and response. The word of the Lord, thanks be to God, is because this is the shape of our faith. Listening for the word, our response. At the beginning of the new year, our texts are about epiphanies. Epiphanies is a word that means to make manifest. So we are listening for places in the world which God becomes manifest. And that began at Christmas time in the odd place of a manger in Bethlehem from a, a no-account place, homeless on the night of his birth, to imagine the being of God there is to rethink the nature of God. And then last Sunday, that Lord at his birth was baptized as each one of us are baptized human beings. And we heard that voice from heaven as Zelay heard it in her baptism, you are beloved. Each one of us, in that manifestation of God, knows that we are beloved. And so is each and every living thing that has breath. And now, another way God is manifest in our lives, in this sense of call, in this sense of purpose. Someone in, in Jerry Larson's study last week said that Jesus saves in one way by giving us meaning, by giving our lives purpose. Come follow me, we heard Jesus say to us today. It is such a great gift we have been given. Yet the voice of God, I will myself profess, speaks in mysterious ways. God manifests in our lives, but it's a mystery to discern sometimes the nature of that voice. And so we have this remarkable text from 1 Samuel. Now the whole of 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel is about the fall of the human heart to the desire for dominance. Eli's children, Samuel's children, the kings of Israel, it will all be that story. But in, in the midst of that, we have this remarkable moment of the passing of an age And this text of hearing God's call. I'd like to spend a few minutes with that this morning. With this remarkable text. The text is ancient. But the best texts of scripture have a timeless appeal. And there's a little bit of temptation in that. There's danger in reading a text too easily to fit our own interests. Of course I do that every Sunday but... You're here to told me the account. And I almost would like to hold today a, a, a United Methodist great dean of preaching who became a bishop who would think I gave, who I thought gave a little shallow reading of this text in his prep materials that I read. And so I'd like to reflect on that a little bit, how easily we fall into that temptation. The word of the Lord was rare in these days. Visions were not widespread. Probably in every age, someone has muttered something similar. 
But the trope, to that interpretation is easy to enter into. It's especially for your clergy and their leaders. United Methodist churches on this continent were once full, harbingers of the great middle, upper middle class culture in this country. United Methodist Church at the turn of the 20th century was the largest Protestant church. Today, not so much. And so bishops find texts like this appealing. We're witnessing the pass of the age. The old, the old Eli can no longer hear very well, can't see very well, and we're passing the torch to the young Samuel, the new church, the youthfulness as we... Well, there you go. It's very tempting, isn't it, to look upon our churches and condemn them because of the old Eli and welcome the mega church young Samuel. It's, it's a good interpretation. It's just not true. Stopping there is a shallow entry into the text because we never then as congregations, as denominations, get to really thinking about the turning of the age. We blame ourselves instead of really taking note of what's happening. You live in a remarkable time. I feel so gifted to be in ministry at this moment. Our culture, the Western world, has not seen such a moment. It is the passing of almost three ages at once. You are living through an extraordinary moment in human history. I'd like to make note of that. I've been over this before and I will continue to be over this as we need to look more deeply into what's happened in our religious culture. So three ages Turns of the tide that are happening at once. The first, not since the fourth century, since the Emperor Constantine took Christianity in the year 315, have we in the Western world existed in a culture that the dominant voice, the enforced voice, was not Christian? We have been the religion of power. Since 315, 1700 years. It is for the first moment since then we can fairly decisively say that the Western culture is no longer by default Christian. I personally think that's a good thing. I'm tempted to divide, dive into the news, but I won't at this moment. Christians have never been at the best when they seek power. And so we have an opportunity for the first time in 1,700 years to approach our faith anew as a minority voice. Just as we began. And that might be for the best. If you, if you, a close reading of First and Second Samuel will give us pause over that entire 1,700 years of seeking to being Christian in the world by power. That's the first epic change deep within the culture in which we swim. The second goes a little earlier. It's a little later. 
since the 1600s and the rise of science, we have been convinced that scientific reason alone was enough. It's universal, it's factual, it can ultimately explain God and guide us into a utopian world. At the dawn of the 20th century, the mainline Protestant weekly professed this to be the Christian century. It was one of the most horrific centuries in recorded history. That feeling of progress, that science was the cure-all, fix-all to our problems, is over. The passing of the modern period happened in the middle of the 20th century. It is, in some sense, a remarkable gift to think and our faith anew, because the Bible, after all, is a pre-modern text holds much wisdom. Just listen to St. Benedict in that beautiful opening prayer. So we have now reached the third great change, and now we're a little closer to American culture. Your mainline churches were built on a culture of volunteerism. They were built on the Christendom of the first change, the rational spirituality of the second and the folks that folks came to church to be good citizens in our culture. Churches were the center of the family life. They were the center of charity. Folks thought when this church was at its height that this is where folks came to be good citizens. You didn't really have to invite other people to church. They just came. That culture does not exist anymore either. We are at the dawn of an age, unprecedented. Now, you can fall into blaming United Methodist leaders for our decline and all this nonsense. Or you can look more deeply and discern how God might be calling us at this turn of the age where the light of God has not gone out quite yet. And so it brings into focus now This important text, which is not the failing Eli and the new church Samuel. If you read it closely, sure, Eli, you might say in our sense, the the culture having changed dramatically, Eli no longer has the, the eyes to sense the culture or the ears to hear the voice. But neither does Samuel recognize what he's hearing, the little boy, the new life sitting at the temple. Here's a voice, he thinks. Samuel, he goes back, that in typical Hebrew narrative fashion, that happens three times to be sure we got the point. Samuel needs the wisdom of Eli. Eli needs the eyes and ears of Samuel. It's not one replacing the other. It's the turn of an age where God is calling the gifts of two generations together in order to be the prophets of the time. Yeah, things will go badly for Eli. Things will go badly for Samuel. But the point is, in this moment, the remarkable work 
God is faithful. You, I just want to celebrate today. Again, what an extraordinary experience for me. And I'm confident Pastor Melinda as well. The Christmas season was. And at the charge conference I may focus on, again, pointing us on Christmas Eve. There are two sources of vitality in this congregation that were on display on Christmas Eve in remarkable ways. The combined energy of that beautiful 10 o'clock service made possible in some sense by some new staffing changes. The remarkable gift. If I had a, a, the picture of a perfect Christmas Eve family service, it was the one led and organized by Pastor Melinda. And then the evening service, entering into the quiet, deep tradition of music, text, and beauty, which was just remarkable. In those three, three, verse, three services were on display your gifts of vitality. One are the gifts of Eli. You have in your midst an astonishing What Eugene Peterson says is a long obedience in the same direction. Wisdom that can only come from living the faith through harsh difficulties and troubling times. The gift of experience, wisdom. But the entire culture has changed it. And so you also have the gifts of of Samuel, eyes and ears for the new age, youthful energy. Both these are sources of vitality. And if today's text is believed, only when they are together can God's call be discerned. Each of us, at whatever moment in our lives, have great joy, gifts we have been given, Eugene Beekner calls our calling the place where our deep gladness meets the world's deep need. In this little passage, we are taught to be a church, a body of Christ, at the turning of an age. One voice needs the eyes and the ears, the other needs the wisdom. Guidance to where the ancient words are. Samuel. Samuel. Speak, Lord. Your servant is listening. I am here. We live in a remarkable time. I encourage you to behold your life at the moment. Recognize that it is extraordinarily gifted and that we can together answer this call tendered to us as we did last Sunday, as we did on Christmas Eve. Answer God's call and to God alone will be the glory now and forevermore. Amen.